0: Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with a simple goal of following Jesus together, and we hope this message helps you in doing just that. The scripture reading for this Sunday is Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded This is the word of the Lord.
1: It's good to be with you guys here today. Who's excited about being in worship today? Anybody here excited? All right. I'm excited that you guys are here. We're in the second week in our series. Uh, We're walking through the, the letter, Paul's letter to this church in Philippi. So we call this letter Philippians. And some people have known this to be called the joy letter. Because Paul seems to be riding with this theme and the importance of joy throughout this letter. So we're walking through this, this letter that Paul wrote over these four weeks. And here we are in the second week. We're in the second chapter. And to begin, I'd, I'd like to propose something for us to think through and consider this morning. And what I'd like to propose is that there's actually a difference between happiness and joy. We kind of we think of them in the same way, but it seems like the more we see Scripture, the more we look at our lives, that there's actually a difference between happiness and joy. Happiness, it's a great thing. Uh, it's, it's the experience of delight that's caused by external sources. So an experience that you have, a, a person, uh, a situation that you're in can bring about a lot of happiness. For me, my happy place is Taco Deli. On spyglass, it's my happy place. Uh, And happiness is actually really important to our culture. A lot of times we talk about the importance of of happiness. You might ask a parent, what do you want for your child? All I want for my child is for them to be happy, right? It's actually built into the very foundation of our nation that there's, in our Declaration of Independence, there's three inalienable rights. There's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, We think this is something that's just, it's ours, like it's just, it's an inalienable right that we should be able to pursue happiness. And there's nothing wrong with happiness, but joy is different than happiness. Jesus shared that when people know and walk with Jesus through their life, certain things will emerge in their life, they'll emerge from their soul, and uh, the way he talked about this was through the analogy of fruit, The more you experience Jesus in your life, the more fruit will pop out of your life. It's like a vine, and we're attached to this vine. And if we remain in Jesus, just fruit pops out of our life. And do you know that Jesus' favorite fruit to talk about is joy? That joy is a very natural byproduct of knowing and experiencing Jesus in our life. Joy is it's cultivated internally. It's something that comes from the soul. It's, it's not necessarily connected to your circumstance, but it's connected to who you are, and it's connected to why you exist. When we start finding ourselves in the places where we realize who we are and why we exist, that joy comes out. And this, for me, is really important. When Jesus was heading to the cross in John 15, he said, I have told you this so that my joy could be in you. So Jesus is heading toward the cross and he's talking about joy. That's not a time to talk about happiness, but he's choosing to talk about joy. I have told you this so that my joy could be in you, that your joy could be complete. That's, that's why Jesus Was here in this world, and so he went on to say, "So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy." Isn't that a great promise? That the the circumstances in our life they might be able to touch our happiness, but our joy is something that's not up for grabs. It's not easily disturbed. That knowing and walking with Jesus gives us joy, the deep down soul-filled joy, when we realize that we belong to God, that you belong to God. When you truly understand that, joy stops popping out from your life. And last week we talked about how Paul took joy in this one church that he was writing this letter to. He took joy even while he was in prison. Not, it's not based on your circumstances, but where God is, joy is available. And this week, he turns his attention now, not from his own life, but he turns his attention to this young church that he helped plant. This is right after the time of Jesus. And this church that he helped plant, like our church in many ways, he starts talking about how they can experience and discover true joy. So, Paul begins by setting a trap. This is in Philippians 2 in, in the first verse. He does a little bait and switch here. He says this. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, and everyone's like, oh, of course that's encouraging. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, yeah. Oh, that's so comforting. Any common sharing in the spirit. I'm not sure what that means, but man, that sounds great. This common sharing in the spirit. It's, I think it's speaking to the fact that that god 's spirit is with us, wherever this, wherever it go, common sharing the spirit, any tenderness and compassion and Paul's saying, if you are enjoying all of this, this is something we all want we all want god 's comfort all want god 's love god 's tenderness and compassion. sign me up, but then he goes on to say, verse two, then make my joy complete by being like minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, and one in mind. What Paul seems to be saying here is that all these benefits of knowing Jesus, his tenderness, his compassion, and his love, we're not just called to be recipients. We're actually called to be participants. That for us, if, if, Paul's saying, if you're enjoying all of this, then you should make my joy complete by being like-minded. Like-minded. This idea of being like-minded, it might seem like uh, it means that we're all supposed to think the same thing. And actually, I don't think that's what it's talking about, uh, which is a really good thing because many people think churches are, we just get people here together and then we tell you what to think. And I I think like-mindedness is more complex and actually more beautiful than that idea. Like-mindedness is an attitude. It's It's a posture of how you live. And so what Paul is saying here is if you are enjoying all these benefits of Jesus, consider taking on the same attitude. Consider consider that kind of lifestyle. Even in your diversity of thought, there can be unity. For us, in our little church, there's tons of diversity of thought. But there can be unity for us if we put on the same mindset. If we choose to agree on what we think is actually the most important things, what we really value. This is really important for any community, even for our our, our little family family. The Charbonneaux, we, we have set out 12 values. We, we put out 12 things that we really are think are important. And each month, we, we look at one of these values. We call it the Charbonneau way. And I'm sure our kids are going to roll their eyes as soon as they realize how annoying that could be. Uh, but we get together with Dylan and we talk to her about, hey, Dylan, uh, we choose people over things. It's kind of a statement for us. We choose people over things, so when a kid comes over here and starts playing with your toy that's really special for you, we choose the person and not the thing. Uh, this is why we exist. This is how we exist. Uh, we talk about when it comes to hospitality that our, our home is gonna reflect God's home. This is, this is how we're gonna treat our home here, that we serve quietly and quickly with love, that we, we talk about how the best things in life take courage, because this is, this is the way in which our family, we're gonna function in many ways, what we're saying is, this is our mindset that we've, that we've agreed on. And what that happens when we start agreeing on having the same mindset is there's something that's released within a, that community, and it's unity. Being one in spirit, one in mind, that unity happens. And unity is really, really important to God. One of Jesus' last prayers that he prayed for the church, not not just the followers of Jesus, but for you and I, you know what that prayer was? That we could be one. Unity is incredibly important to God, I think, I think because for all of time, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have been in perfect relationship. No disunity, no no conflict that would separate, no backbiting and stabbing each other. So I think it's really important for us to think through this. There's probably nothing that mourns God's heart more in this world than to see how, how much conflict there is within the church, how we pull out things that are secondary issues and we attack one another. And what I think Paul might be saying to us in here is, if you're experiencing all of the same goodness and benefits from Jesus, how about you try putting on the same mindset? But then he goes on to tell us how to have unity in verse number three. He says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking at your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. This is so important. What Paul is saying is you can't have unity when you're living with selfish ambition. It's impossible. If you're going to seek to live for self, don't expect to have unity you can't have the same mindset of Jesus if you don't value others more than yourself. Unity requires humility and self-sacrifice. As I heard one pastor say, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. It's not like self-deprecating of, oh, I'm worthless, and calling that humility. That's not humility. But it's actually being more mindful of those people around you. This, that comes unnaturally for us. Paul does... Does this call do nothing out of selfish ambition or vanity? For us to, to think through that, it takes great self-awareness. How much, how much of your day would disappear? How much of my day would disappear if I pulled out every moment of self-interest from it? If I pulled out every decision that I made with a little bit of vanity in it? If I pulled out every single decision that I made where there was ambition into it? Even my acts of kindness can have a tinge of vanity, right? Look how selfless I am, right? We might be guilty of this. In mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis said this, and I love quoting things like this because I couldn't get away with saying this. It's too too punchy, so I'm just gonna quote someone. If anyone would like to acquire humility, I can tell tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. (laughs) So if you wanna take a step towards humility, realize this, that you're prideful. I'm going to point at that because this is, I'm quoting again. Uh, at least nothing whatever can be done before, before you realize that there's pride in your life. If you think that you're not conceited, it means that you are very conceited indeed. <laughs> if, you, if you don't have any sense of self-awareness of the vanity in your life, the self-ambition, the self-interest, uh, then we might be far from having this mindset of Jesus we might need to pray honest prayers that, all right, God, will you show me where in my life I'm self interested? Will you show me where in my life I have vanity? I really care about my image? I, I might encourage you to pray this one prayer. If you want to take a step in this direction, pray for one good embarrassment every day. Just to make you aware of your vanity, you know? Like last night I went to, I, we had a friend over. Uh, a, a buddy of mine, uh, she, she, he brought her, her a new girlfriend over, and I was washing dishes, trying to get everything ready. You know, candles are lit, smelling like a vanilla bean bomb just blew up in our home. And, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, I was washing dishes, and you know those things like when you wash the dishes and like, you're right up against the countertop? Uh, you know, water sometimes sprays up on the countertop. And so I go and I introduce myself, and it's just this wet line right here and I realized it way too late, and I was just super embarrassed. I just looked like I peed in my pants for like half an hour. <laughs> it's a good humility. I, I care, I, like when I realized it, I go, I care what I look like. I care that my friend's not embarrassed that he came to my house. You know, like, this is good for me. It popped, it's like a whack-a-mole. It popped up. I go, there you are. I see you. But we need to have greater self-awareness of where, where are we living with self-interest? Where are we living with vanity and Ambition. To drive this home, Paul does something odd in this this chapter. If if we don't study the background of it, it's lost on us. Uh, But he actually breaks out into a poem. Actually, he breaks into a song here. When he starts thinking about what does it mean to have the mindset of Jesus, it's like mere words couldn't do justice. He breaks into a poem. And this uh, poem, many commentators think this is the main thing in this letter. This, this one poem actually shares the whole message of this, of this letter. As one friend said this week, it's the hokey pokey of the, of the letter. It's what it's all about. This right here. <laughs> so what is this song? In verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have on the same mindset, take on the same attitude as Jesus. So Paul is saying this is not only going to be a poem about Jesus, but it's a poem about how you and I can live. And then he goes on to say who being in very nature god jesus was was and is god from the very beginning this isn't something jesus chose or achieved that jesus was god did not consider equality with god something to be used to his own advantage so though jesus was was god that he didn't use his status for himself, He didn't take that power and that glory and turn it towards himself, although he could have because he was God. He took that status and that power, he didn't use it for his own advantage, he turned it outward. And by the way, that's the temptation for all of us, is to take our status, our power, our abilities, and turn it towards the self. But Jesus shows us a different mindset. Verse 7, rather he made himself nothing. The the Greek here denotes being made nothing. The Greek talks about how he poured himself out. He emptied himself. I love that visual of like a, it's like an offering that, that Jesus did. He had everything that who he was, the power and the glory and the status, and Jesus out of love poured it out. He poured out himself, he emptied himself by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Here we see what Paul's doing in, the, in this poem. He's, he's pulling together two different natures. He who being very nature God took on the nature of a servant. If you, if you want a picture of who God is, God is not some distant powerful force in this world connecting us. Just some distant, weird, this is who God is. And Jesus, who's very nature God, chose to take on the nature of a servant. He who did not choose to be God chose to pour himself out for you. This is who God is. If you want a clear picture of Jesus, it's all right there in those two natures. That he lived this world, he descended to this world and in a thousand ways he poured his life out for people. This poem actually depicts what this uh, Catholic uh, theologian and priest Henry Malwin would call the life of downward mobility. Isn't that a great idea? The life of downward mobility. That Jesus chose to come down to make himself low, to pour himself out. That although he had eternal harmony with the Father and the Spirit, that what he did is he chose to come down. This right here is what we celebrate in Christmas, that he became flesh, that Jesus chose to come to this world. And then, like I said, in a thousand ways, he poured his life out for others. He served the lowest of the low. He went to the darkest places in this world and gave of himself. That was the gift of Jesus. Not that he healed and did these things. He actually gave of himself, he poured himself out for people in service. This is who God is. God, the servant, Jesus. He poured himself out. And for me, when I think about this, This goes in in complete opposition for the narrative of our world. In a world of upward mobility where we long to go upward in materialism and power over others and influence in this world, we have Jesus making himself low, a life of downward mobility. This should cause us to ask the question, how do you use the power in your life? The God-given power, the power that maybe you found yourself through hard work and through other things, how are you using the, the power in your life? Is it Do you turn it toward self, or do you use that power to pour yourself out for others? How do you use your influence, your resources, your gifts to promote self or to promote others? To serve yourself or serve others? Now one would say, this, you would say the story of our salvation stands radically over and against the philosophy of upward mobility. The great paradox which the scripture reveals to us is that real and total freedom, that word freedom, I love that, that word freedom is only found through downward mobility. The word of God came down to us and lived among us as a slave. The divine way is indeed the downward way. When I look at this room, I have so many examples of people who've chosen the downward way of service. There's so many examples of that. Uh, Today, though, we think of mothers, and today I think about my mother. Here's a picture of my mother. This is my family right here. (laughs) We were, it's like an Olin Mills Church portrait way back in the day. The photographer said, hey, uh, give me one second. Uh, so everyone was getting ready for the picture. He was finishing out the last picture on the roll. I knew what was up. I knew he was going to take a picture. And so uh, this right here is a really clear depiction of my family, by the way. So when we get, went to get our picture, they gave us, like, the picture that we chose. And they said, oh, and by the way, we've been laughing about this picture in our office for a week. So <laughs> here you go. You can have that, too. But it's my favorite picture of my family. And that's my mom. Her name's Lynn. Her birth certificate says Wanda, so if you ever meet her, please call her Wanda. She loves that. Uh, You don't meet many two-year-olds named Wanda, do you? Uh, But my mother, I think about her today, and uh, I can't tell you the thousands of times that she licked her thumb and cleaned my face. I can't, I don't have no clue how many hundreds of pounds of oranges she sliced up for my soccer team's. I just dare you to like my Facebook post before Wanda. You can't do it. She's already liked this sermon before she realized that, I'm going to talk about her, you can't, there's like a siren that goes off in her home when I post something, you know, she has to drop everything and like it before you. She drove to the moon and back, carting me around to all my hobbies, my teams, to school, to my friends' houses, that... She's prayed more, she's cried more, she's worried more, she's cleaned more uh, than I will ever know, and she has not asked for a single thing in return other than a, an occasional phone call and a picture of the grandkids. My mother, like many other uh, mothers, have their, her life's been marked by selflessness, working two jobs out, out throughout my adolescence and my high school just to get me ready to get, go to college. She's served wholeheartedly, and with great humility, and although sometimes our society doesn't always lift up mothers, today we do so. And it's not only because they serve. It's not only because there's a picture of a servant. It's our picture of our God. That's what Jesus taught us. Is as we see motherhood in its best form, that's a picture of who Jesus is. And although I know how much appreciation I have for her today, I think it's just nothing in comparison to how Jesus sees it. When women and men alike serve wholeheartedly, he gets to look at them and go, that's my image. That's my image in this world. Someone who's pouring themselves out for others, and it's often misunderstood and unthanked. That's my image. And I know Mother's Day is a mixed day for many families and many mothers. I know many of us long to have kids and Jen and I walked that journey. It's incredibly painful. I just want to share for you, if that's your journey right now, uh, that it doesn't matter necessarily who you bring into this world. It matters who you help raise. And the incredible thing as a church is we get to help raise a lot of kids. It matters to you who you're mentoring, who you're fostering. It matters who who you're leading. It matters who you're Teaching to pray in our vine kids back there. It matters who you befriend in your neighborhood. It matters because all of that is servanthood. All of that is love. All of that is compassion. All of that is the same mindset of Jesus. Even Jesus one time said, You want to know who my family is? Look around here. Look around here. The family of God is expansive. And when we pour ourselves out for other people, not only did we get to be in God's image but more joy is offered. But for Jesus, the downward way didn't stop in just serving other people. Not only did Jesus come down as human, not only did he go down further as a servant and slave, but verse eight, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The mindset of Jesus was to die to self, It was a life of self-sacrifice. And Jesus did not only sacrifice or give himself for the world, but he did it for you. He gave himself for you. He had you in mind in this grand descending that he did. He descended to this world. He came to the cross so that he could find you and I and give us true joy. That his joy could be in us and that this world could never take it away. He he emptied himself, he poured himself out so that you and I could be filled. That's the point of the cross. It's a great emptying so that you and I could be filled with true joy. But even then, the journey wasn't over. The journey wasn't over on the cross. Notice what happens after Jesus goes all the way down. A grand reversal takes place. In verse 9, Therefore, God exalted him, lifted him up to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, in every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. By making himself servant of all, Jesus was exalted. Jesus was lifted up. The servant who got on his knees to wash people's feet was lifted up that every knee would bow to him. The voice that spoke gentleness, words of love and compassion, will hear everyone's voice say that he is Lord. And all of this is for the glory of God. The lowly will be lifted up. So Jesus calls us to serve and pour ourselves out. Not only that this world could be blessed through our lives, but also that we could be filled with joy that it could never be taken away.